Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that's why God says to Jacob that he was the God of his father, the God of your father. He's bringing him back to that promise. He's saying, Jacob, you remember when your father called on me as El to make you a multitude of people? Do you remember that, Jacob? Well, now is the time for the beginning of that blessing to start, and I'm going to make you this multitude of people down in Egypt. It's going to be down there. Now, this, this was a promise that his father had made, had called on him, called on God to bless him with. And then God reaffirmed this to him when he was, that he was going to make him a multitude of people. And this was right after the terrible tragedy of his daughter being defiled, Dina, and the murder of the Shechemites. That was one of the most terrible low times in Jacob's life. And, and at that time, Jacob was very disturbed. As we just saw, he was worried he was going to be killed by his neighbors. He needed stability and God told him, Jacob, go to Bethel and, and make the altar. And he builds an altar there. He worships God. And then when Jacob did that, then God reassured him of his plan. In Genesis 35, 11, Genesis 35, 11, God said unto him, I am El. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Remember that, those, that, that term, Jacob? That's what your father had used to call the blessing for you. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. So Jacob had to believe God that he was going to make him a nation because Jacob looked at his family. He only sees 70 people, which is a far cry from being a nation. But God said, but, but that God said he'd make him a nation, and then Jacob believed God. And we think of the tr- what was going on in Jacob's life here, the tragedy with Dina and, and Shechem. We can see a person in Jacob moving through life with, with ups and downs and ups and downs. And that was a downtime for him. And, and that's what we see. And that's the way it is in our lives, this sort of like winding path, but ups and downs, but always going in the same direction. Same with us ups and downs, but we're moving in the direction to be with the Lord Jesus. So when God said that he would there in Egypt make him a great nation, God's sending a message to Jacob, and that is, he's saying to Jacob, Egypt is going to be the perfect place for me to develop you into a nation. Now, by saying that, he's saying, 
Canaan is not a good place for you to become a nation because there's a danger in Canaan, right? The Canaanite women. There was a danger of intermarrying with the Canaanites. I mean, this is what Judah did. He would have been long lost had he not been put into the shame of having a baby with his daughter-in-law, and he left the Canaanites in total shame. But otherwise, he never would have returned home. So God decided that Jacob had to leave Canaan to develop into a nation that was not going to be lost among intermarrying of the Canaanites. And the Amorites were also a part of Canaan, and they were developing. The Amorites were developing. And God talked about that when he made the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, 16. He says, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Amorites were developing their iniquity. It was getting more and more. The cup was filling up. And this raises the question now as to, okay, it was really bad there in Canaan, but why would there be no danger to the Jewish people to become intermarried with the Egyptians? I mean, if there's one thing that Jacob knew about his sons is that they did not have the gift of celibacy. <laughs> okay, They liked women. They liked pretty women. And Jacob knew that the women down there in Egypt, they're like Cleopatra. They're attractive and they're seductive. And so Jacob knew that his sons would fall like flies before those Egyptian women. So Jacob had reason to be afraid of his sons intermarrying with the Egyptians and for his seed just to become swallowed up in a sea of Egyptian women. So why do you think that when God sent Israel down into Egypt that there was not going to be this danger of the, of the Jewish men intermarrying with the Egyptian women. Why do you think that was? Communicating makes for a pretty hard date. <laughs> you can't talk to each other. You can smile. Anything else? Yeah, they were an abomination. Remember that in Genesis 4332, Genesis 4332, where it said, they set on for him, they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves, for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews. That's an abomination to the Egyptians. That makes for a pretty hard date. <laughs> you can't eat together. And then it says in, in, in Genesis 46.34, 46.34, that you shall say thy servant's trade hath been about cattle about from our youth, even until now, both we and also our fathers, that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Well, the Israelites were shepherds, and the Egyptians had a special view of shepherds. They were an abomination, so, you know, that, that nips any romance in the bud. You brings, you know, look, Dad, look who I brought home with me. He's a shepherd. Oh, can't even get near him. So, all right, that, that finishes all the romance. So, Egyptians can't eat with the, with the Israelites because they're shepherds. They look at them as abominations. That was a great safeguard. That was a safeguard for the, for the Israelites to not get swallowed up in, in, in intermarriage. And the second safeguard was their location. 
They were way up there isolated in the northern edge of Egypt up there, pretty much isolated from the rest of Egypt. And that kept the Jewish people also from intermarrying with the Egyptians. It was just just perfect. And, and it's remarkable to think in the very place that Jacob feared to go, that, his, that, that, that he felt that his family was going to be totally destroyed. That was the perfect place. It's just like God. You take the place where, where we fear the most and make it the place of the greatest blessing. It's just like God. And the proof of how much they grew as a people, it can be seen when they walked out of Egypt 400 years later. And it says in Exodus 12, 37, Exodus 12, 37, children of Israel journeyed from Ramsey to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, the flocks, herds, very much cattle. So there were 600,000 men that walked out of Egypt beside the children. Now, if we use the family of Moses as an example, we can see, uh, you know, how many children did they have on average? We can see that in his family, there were three. There was Moses, and there was Aaron, and there was Miriam. So when we make that, say, okay, we got a husband and wife and three children, we, make, we got five, we got five families of 600,000, we've got, you know how many that is, five times six? Do I know? Where did I just, yeah, that's three million. Okay, so it's three million people. Then it describes another group that came out that became part of the Jewish people, and that was called a mixed multitude now, how many was that? Well, how many smart Egyptians were there who looked at that and said, you know, we better get on the side of this God. He's just annihilated the country. I don't know. I would say there's at least two million of them. So, so this would make five million people that come out. So up until this point where we are now in Beersheba here, this has been 250 years of history from the beginning of Abra- from, from Abraham now to to Jacob at this part. And in 250 years of their history, they are all of 70 people. And in less than twice that amount, less than twice, 250 years, in 400 years, they're gonna grow to be five million people. That's growth. That's growth. So Egypt represents for the Jewish people the place where they're going to grow. It also represents the place where they're going to afflict it. As a matter of fact, the more that they were afflicted, the more they grew. Sort of like the Chinese church. The Chinese church, the more that it was persecuted under communism, the greater it flourished and grew in numbers. Same is true of us. The more that we're afflicted, the more we grow stronger in the Lord. So God was faithful in taking 70 people, 70 Jewish people that entered into Egypt and make them 5 million by the time they left Egypt. And, and uh, <clears throat> now, now in the next verse here, we can see in verse, verse four here, he says, I'll go down with thee into Egypt. God is now, he's, he's now making to, to, to Jacob four promises. The first promise is in the previous verse. So he, he, he says that, but in, he, he says in, Verse four, I will go down with thee into Egypt. I will surely bring thee again, and Joseph shall put his hand on thine eyes. This is such a great promise that God gave to Joseph in verse four. I will go down with you 
into Egypt. See, in this verse, what God is not saying to Jacob, he's not saying, well, have a nice trip down there to Egypt. I'm staying here in Canaan, and you're on your own back there. Hope you, bon voyage, hope you do well. No, that's not what God said. What God said to Jacob is that I'm going down with you. We're gonna go down together into Egypt, so let's get moving. So this 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 promise is actually the second promise that God made to Jacob was up for his presence, for his protection, and that's all he needed. He needed this protection. This is Moses. Moses needed this protection too. Moses was always going through these times in his life. Very sad to see this, but this is the reality with Moses. Moses just felt the deep absence of any human to help him to shoulder the load that he had to do. I mean, he tried to rely on his father-in-law. He had his father-in-law, and, and he really thought a lot about him. He was a Midianite priest. He was a heathen priest. And Moses wanted him to go with him. So he went, but Moses went overboard about trying to get his father-in-law to go with him when it says so sad to see Moses in this state in Numbers 10.31, Numbers 10.31, where it says, and he said, Moses said, leave us not. I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. Now, that was really a low point in Moses' life when he pleaded with his father-in-law so pitifully to see Moses, leave us not, I pray thee. And then he tells his father-in-law that he needed him to be his eyes. It was so offensive to God. He was standing on the sidelines, the Moses, what are you saying to this heathen man that, that you need it for, for eyes. What am I, chopped liver? I mean, you know, I'm your eyes in the wilderness. It's a very low point for Moses. And, and, and we can see that Moses was always trying to cling to someone. He says, you know, he, he, Moses had this, like we all do, he had this, I can't live without you. I can't live without you. And when we say that, when we say that about another human being, I can't live without you, God takes notice and says, oh, I didn't know. I guess we'll have to remove that person out of his life so he can learn that there's only one person he needs in his life, and that's God. I mean, I feel sorry for the person who says, I can't live without my spouse. If my spouse were taken from me, I would just die. That's so offensive to God. When a person says that, and God takes notice and says, oh, I didn't know. I guess we'll have to remove that person from his or her life. So that's what God did for Moses with regards to his father-in-law. He removed him from his life so that Moses could learn. There's only one person I need. I mean, Moses was in another one of these I need someone moods in Exodus 33.12. In Exodus 33.12, Moses said unto the Lord, see thou sayest to me, bring up this people. Thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. So he's saying here, Lord, who are you gonna send with me? Now, just think about how all these people had let Moses down in his life. We already talked about his father-in-law who didn't stay with them. His wife, Zipporah, she was not a believer. She betrayed Moses, and she went home. She left him. His sister, Miriam, he, she betrayed Moses by criticizing Moses for marrying a black woman, an Ethiopian. His brother, Aaron, he betrayed Moses when he made the golden calf when Moses was up there on Mount Sinai with God receiving the law. So Moses felt pretty alone in life when he asked God, who do you have in mind to be with me? And it was under those circumstances that God's reply to Moses was in Exodus thirty-three fourteen. 
In Exodus 33, 14, God said, and he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I'll give thee rest. That was God telling Moses that you, you have all you need in me and in my presence, and that's my promise. And then Moses then grabbed a hold of that promise, made it to complete repentance, a complete about face, and, the, and he said to God in the next verse, Exodus thirty-three fifteen, Exodus thirty-three fifteen, and he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not a pence. So now Moses was saying, okay, then never send me where you're not going to be with me. That was a great victory for Moses. So this is the great promise that God has made to Jacob in verse 4, and it's the same promise that, that God made, uh, my, uh, that I'll go with you, and there's the same promise that God made to Isaac, Jacob's father, in Genesis 26.3. Genesis 26.3, sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and bless thee, and unto thee and of thy seed I'll give these countries. Now, Jacob hears the promise from God that, that uh, he's gonna become a great nation, and when he was in... Um, when he was in, um, actually, when he was in, Ab- in Laban's uh, house, the house of misery for Jacob, because Laban was a miserable person. But anyway, when he was there, then God said to him in Genesis 31.3, Genesis 31.3, the Lord said unto Jacob, return unto the land of thy fathers, and thy kindred, and I will be with thee. So this is the promise. This is the promise that keeps him. It's the same promise that God gives to us when we feel like we're getting the short end of the stick in life. You know, we don't get, we don't have what we want. And then God says to us in Hebrews 13.5, Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's the presence of God. This is the great message of Christmas, is the presence of God. When the prophecy came in Isaiah 7, 14, where it says, therefore the Lord himself shall give thee a sign, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God with us or our togetherness with God. It's the presence of God. That's the promise. That's the promise from of Christmas is the presence of God. So the first promise that God made to Jacob was that he was going to make him a great nation. The second promise was that he was going to go down with him into Egypt. And then comes the next promise, which is in verse 4, the third promise, I will surely bring thee up again. Now, that's a promise that God made to Jacob. He's going to bring him back up again from Egypt. Now, this promise did not mean that he's going to bring him up alive. He's actually going to bring him up, his, his corpse back up because Jacob dies in Egypt. And, it, and, 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 it, and this was, but Jacob grabbed a hold of this promise, and the last words that he says before he dies is in Genesis, Genesis, Genesis 49, when he gets his sons to promise to take my body out of this land and bury it in Canaan. And, and, and that was fulfilled in the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verse 7, where it says, Joseph went up to bury his father, and it, and it, and it goes on to describe how they came to the, to the place of Machpelah and buried him there. Now, beyond this personal application for Jacob, 
there was the promise that was fulfilled in his family 400 years later. And that's what's precious for us. When we look at verse 4 and see the application for our lives, I will also surely bring thee up again. Because it shows no matter how low the valley is, no matter how dark the valley is that we have to go through, God will bring us up again, will bring us up. He goes down with us, and he goes up with us in death. He goes down with us in death, and then surely he'll bring us up again to be in his glory with him. And there's a particular emphasis in in verse 4 that's in the Hebrew. And the, the emphasis is the fact that this phrase is repeated twice. Literally, it reads, I will bring thee up also, I will bring thee up. I mean, that's how it reads. And it, it has the word gam in between those two phrases, which means also. And so it's separating a repetition. Now, it sounds funny in, the, in English, you know, I will bring thee up, also I'll bring thee up. So the translators, they look at that and they say, well, that's, that, that's going to look funny. It's, it's not going to blend itself into the elegant King James language to say the same thing twice. So they, they looked at each other and they said, what are we going to do? And somebody said, well, just put in the word surely. Okay, so that's what we have it, surely. But when we look at the repetition, it is very instructive for us because it's like God saying, I'll bring thee up. And then he could see Jacob having a hard time to process that. So he says, oh, also, I'll bring thee up. So there'd be no question. So this promise given to Jacob twice was very encouraging for Jacob and also for the Jewish people 400 years later when it came time for them to leave Egypt. And then they would say, oh, but the words were said twice. We've got to go. Now that's the third promise. Now the fourth promise comes in verse four, and Joseph shall put his, 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 shall put his hand upon thine eyes. So when does a person put their hand on your eyes? When you die, when you're laying there dead, and you go, right? <laughs> that's what it is. So a death is to close the eyes of the person who's just died. Now this was always viewed as a great privilege, who was going to be the person to put their hand and close the, it's like a, like the last rite or whatever it is. It's a final thing. So with this statement, God is showing Jacob, you're going to die in Egypt. And so it's clear to Jacob that his return to Canaan was only going to be as a corpse. And it's very important to Jacob that he makes his family promise, which we said he did as his last words in Genesis 49, 29 at the end of 4929. And, 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 and so here Jacob has these four promises from God. First, God's going to make of him a great nation down in Egypt. Second, God's going to be with him in Egypt. Third, God's going to bring him up again. And fourth, Je- Joseph is going to close his eyes in Egypt. He's going to die in Egypt. Isn't that great of God to give him the whole program so that he would have all the assurance of of knowing exactly what's going to happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being such a great God and giving all this wonderful assurance to Jacob when his heart was afraid. And thank you for doing the same for us. And help us, Lord, to worship you now and during this time of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 